Pickett under center. Pickett, play action fake. He rolls right. Pickett throws the ball down the field, and the pass is caught. Wow. And that is Edison on his way. He's going to score a touchdown. He took it away from the defender. The defender tried to steal that ball. Johnson uh, went in there and said, it's my ball. And guess what? Edison said, no, my ball, my touchdown. Turn out the lights. And welcome to today's episode of the Pipeline ACC Podcast. I am Dan Siegel from ACC Content. I am joined, as always, by Jason Gibbs. And Jason, we have our Coastal Division set. Pitt will be the Coastal's representative in the ACC Championship. The Atlantic is very much up for grabs among three teams, NC State, Wake Forest, and Clemson. With that note, Jason, how you doing? Lovely as always, Dan. You know, that's uh, what, what a great weekend. You know, we have college football, college basketball. And, and like you said, I, and I think uh, we'll have to go back and check the tape. And maybe you can remind me, you know, on one of our uh, on our award-winning podcast season preview, I think you liked Pitt's value to win the Coastal. So if that's true, kudos. Hope you cast your ticket. Atlantic coming down to Wake is in with a win. NC State is in with a win and a Wake loss. And Clemson is in with a win and a Wake and an NC State loss. So those three teams are left to decide the other half of the bracket. Well, one quick correction. Clemson, it doesn't matter. They play South Carolina next week. So they're already oh, set it. Yeah, I'm sorry. They, they, you're right. They're, they don't have to necessarily win, but they do need Wake and NC State to lose. Yes. So I think, well, I, their game against South Carolina holds value in itself just because of the rivalry, but I think they'll probably be caring a lot more about the NC State and Wake games because they hold more value to their fate in the conference. But you have to ask Clemson fans about that. Regardless, we're going to obviously break down all the games. We'll get into a little basketball at the end. Before we do that, just wanted to just uh, talk about the contest a little bit. So in our contest, Jason, you have tied it back up at 68. Mm, dog fight, man. It's back and forth, back and forth. You know, I think this week you and I picked exact same games for ACC except for Louisville Duke. And so we were – Equally right and wrong, except for that one game. But it's fun. It's, we're going to keep this going the whole year. So it's a lot of fun. Yeah. So we both actually got our locks wrong, too, with Boston College not covering or even winning. But we had uh, a pretty bad week overall. I mean, you did okay. You went four and four in the ACC. I didn't do well. I went three and five in the ACC. Um, I'll have to calculate our records for the whole season. I think we're doing pretty well ACC wise for the full season. At least we got, I wouldn't want us to be like 52.5% because it's like betting on every game. So I wouldn't expect that. But regardless, you went better in the non-con than me. That's what, how you got the two point advantage and tied it up for the week. And then uh, for the discord contest, well, last week it was a pretty tight neck and neck battle between all the participants. This week, there's a lot more separation. So Congratulations to our guy, Matt Hayes, who had eight correct props. He came up with the winner, eight out of ten. Super impressive. couple had seven, but Hayes got the advantage largely due to having the BC under on 0.5 lost fumbles. 
And how about Brutus coming crashing down to earth with just with just two correct props after back to back victories over the rest? Yeah, we you know if uh, if you haven't already, definitely join our Discord. Shameless plug, you know we busted Brutus his chops about a, a poor showing, especially after he had won two in a row. But a lot of fun. We give away twenty dollars every week, and you know it, it gives you something to to keep track of, even in, in games that might you know, otherwise be meaningless. To it's you. really awesome. And either way, uh, let's start with our helmets. What's your first helmet sticker? Well, I'm going to go Thursday boy, single-handedly basically destroying Duke 303 yards and five touchdowns through the air, 224 yards and uh, obliterating the blue devils. And I, if that wasn't the nail and, you know, David Cutcliffe's uh, coffin, and I don't know what is. It just was a, a really uh, poor showing by the Blue Devils and an unbelievable showing by my guy, Malik Cunningham. First time a sticker for me, we're going to travel uh, over to Saturday, and we're going to talk about Clemson with a big victory over Wake. We'll talk about the details of the game in a little bit, but I'm just going to give credit to their running back tandem. Kobe Pace, 191 yards and two touchdowns. Will Shipley, 112 yards and two touchdowns. I'm talking about rushing because Will Shipley also had a throw touch, a passing touchdown. He was a little jump pass from the goal line. Between them, 13 missed tackles. The next best in terms of total team missed tackles forced uh, by running backs would be UNC with seven. So UN, so Clemson had almost double that. Great job by the running backs. Yeah, for my second, my second helmet sticker is a little painful. Here because I'm, I'm going to give it to Jordan Addison for Pitt. 14 receptions, 202 yards, four touchdowns, and unbelievable showing for Pitt as they, as we already mentioned, won the game and are now the coastal representative in the ACC championship game. It is a little painful because you and I were going against each other in our pipeline ACC only fantasy football league, and you had Jordan Addison. I thought I was going to squeak it out of you. I was rolling the dice with Brennan Armstrong. I thought he was going to carry me to victory. He did not because of your guy, Jordan Addison. And for that, I'll tip my hat and give him my helmet sticker. That's good stuff because I'm going to keep it in Pitt's direction. I'm going to give credit to their coaching staff, actually, because I feel like game management was the reason they won this game. They were much more aggressive than UVA on fourth down including a shot play to Jordan Addison on fourth and one. It's the most effective time to take a shot downfield because you're going to likely have an open guy. Obviously, it's a huge risk. It paid off. And the UVA coaching staff just wasn't up to the task. They punted on situations I thought they should have gone for it, while Pitt was what may have been considered over-aggressive. However, they converted. And I think aggressiveness is better than, than conservativeness in most cases. So props to them. Yeah, I'm not going to say that I kicked something across my living room on that fourth down that on the touchdown to Addison, but I'm not not going to say it either. You know the worst part about that too? I don't want to know. <laughs> the worst part about that is if he had just taken a knee, Pitt would have just been able to run the clock out, but he had to run it all the way to pad his stats. <laughs> Oh, it was brutal. I thought I was gonna. I thought I was gonna take you, and we were gonna face off. Uh, you know, the winner was gonna face off against NCAF twenty four seven in the finals. Didn't happen. So you're gonna have to carry the torch for the podcast. 
So, with that being said, let's get into our game recap specific games. And we're going to start Thursday night with Louisville at Duke, 62-22. to Just a bull-clinching victory for Louisville, left nothing in doubt. Duke is just really not competing at any level in ACC play. And you credited Malik Cunningham for his performance. It was also kind of the Malik Cunningham flu game, right? Because he clearly had some sort of illness. He was puking on the sidelines, yet still putting up monster stats. I mean, really incredible for him. He deserves more respect among the ACC's top quarterbacks, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, the ACC is so rich with quarterbacks that he's kind of flying under the radar, especially when when the cards kind of stubbed their toe early in the season. He, you know, uh, kind of went off of people's radar a little bit. But really been, you know, a, a, a huge piece in kind of turning their season around. They've had a couple tough luck losses. But, yeah, it was just complete dominance. The game was over. It might have been over in the first quarter. It was already 14-3, to but at halftime it was definitely over. And if there's a team that's down bad, I think we can classify the Blue Devils as that. They ask you how you are, and you just have to say that you're fine when you're not really fine, but you just can't get into it because they would never understand. Duke is definitely down bad. How about this quote from wide receiver Jake Bobo? In a post-game interview, he said, I think the worst part of it is we don't have answers. Our problems are all over the place. So when you have a player saying that, you know things are super bad. Like, that is, a player just feels absolutely hopeless. The players are the ones that are supposed to have the energy, the motivation to just bounce back and just leave it all out there. And he's like, you know, we keep getting clobbered, and I don't know what to do. Yeah, so, I mean, when, when a, like you said, when a player says that, that's what he's saying publicly. You can only imagine what goes on privately. And I've already alluded to it. I alluded to it weeks ago. Um, this should be like Cutcliffe's last season at Duke, and, and I'm pretty sure it will be. Not really sure what direction they go, but they have to go a different direction because this isn't working. Uh, they're four and a half wins. We we mentioned this uh, a few times. They're not they're not even come close to that, and they just didn't look competitive in, in any facet, really. You know, it. You know what it reminded me of when I saw Cunningham. Kind of there was that one play where I think it was when he ripped off that seventy five yard touchdown. He's just weaving in and out of, you know, the traffic, breaking tackles. It kind of reminded me of when, you, when you're playing, you know, a video game like Madden or, or whatever, and you turn the difficulty down to easy, and you can just constantly just run all over the field and break tackles. That's what it looked like. And you're supposed to be a Power 5 school. That should never be the case. But, you know, props again to Louisville. Scott Satterfield kind of – rallied his troops from, like I said, early in the year, they were uh, trending downward. Now they're trending upward and they're bowl eligible. So nice work by the cards. I mean, but to, to just rail more on Duke a little bit, how about the tackling? Like you, you just talked about it. It was atrocious. I think we're referring to the exact same play where he just went back and forth, zigzagged. And yes, it was an amazing play by Cunningham, but like, I don't even know how much credit I could give him because just it's beyond UVA level bad in their tackling. I think 
they are – I know they beat Kansas and Northwestern earlier in the season, but just considering how bad they've been in conference play, losing pretty much every game by 30, 40 points, I think they're as low as Kansas and Vanderbilt as far as Power 5 teams are concerned. Well, look, Kansas is kind of trending upward. I bet you if they play the rematch now, the Jayhawks win. Northwestern, I'm not sure about. They haven't been overly competitive in, in their games. But I, I don't. I, I would love to see Vegas' line on the Northwestern game now because I think Kansas hasn't. I mean, Kansas had the upset at Texas. They played TCU close. They're at least fighting, right? You know, you don't see any fight on this Blue Devil team. And I just it, – it's time for a change. It's time for something different. You know, like I said, I don't know what direction you go. I mean, it's not like – I mean, let's be honest. Duke is a basketball school. It's not like the, there's some, you know, destination, football destination school. So I'm really not sure where you go. I don't know if you go G5 and, and get some kind of up-and-comer. Maybe try a retread of someone that didn't work out somewhere else. But something has to be done because there just was no spirit. There was no energy. And, you know, as you mentioned, Jake Bobo's down bad quote. I think that encapsulates everything. It really does. There's It just shows what the locker room's thinking right now. So I think that's enough on that. Let's move on to Wake Forest at Clemson, our 12 o'clock game, where Wake falls to Clemson 48-27. to And I thought about this game a lot, right? Because I've given so much praise to Dave Clawson and how he doesn't have those really bad letdown losses and how he always has his team up for every game. And I thought about this. Does this change my opinion on Clawson? And I'm going to say no. I think Wake's full body of performance has still been super impressive. They're 9-2 and two this year. I think what just happened here is the talent difference finally showed out. And Wake was overperforming, Clemson was underperforming. Something like this was bound to happen. It's like regression to the mean or something like that. Yeah, well, so you and I, we both picked Wake in our picks contest. And before kickoff, it was noted on our Discord, which again, shameless plug, that there was reverse line movement on Clemson. And I thought, uh-oh, here come the Tigers. The Sharps are all pouring their money on Clemson, and it's probably going to be a blowout, which it essentially was. You know, a 21-point victory is a pretty big blowout for a game that started out around Clemson minus four. A couple things I worry about, you know, because I, I think about it with um, – let's just go outside the ACC for a second and, and talk about Michigan State getting throttled at Ohio State. You know, this week, we, it was all Mel Tucker's big contract and this, that, and the other, and Mel Tucker's rumored to go to LSU and blah, blah, blah. I'm not saying they would have beaten Ohio State because I think Ohio State's a wagon, but did that play a part in that game? Similarly, rumors have started to swirl. Dave Clawson leaving, you know, Virgin, you know, for Virginia Tech, for another gig, for whatever. Is it well? One, is it true? And then two, is it a distraction to him? Is it a distraction to the team? I don't know. I don't think that that would have made up the difference. I think you're right about Clemson. They're kind of slowly starting to click. You know, they got good play out of their running back room, as you mentioned in your helmet sticker. 
DJ Wendell still really hasn't shown me much. I, I'm again, I, I go back to I think he's broken. I don't know how to fix it. I don't know if you can fix it this year or if you can ever fix it. But that defense, we've we've mentioned it. They've been stout all year, and you know this was the first time this year that Wake Forest didn't score thirty five points. Now they did score twenty seven, so it's something. But they gave up forty eight, and we talked about strength versus strength and weakness versus weakness. And it really just turned out that Clemson's strength was stronger than Wake's strength, and their weakness was well stronger than Wake's weakness. You look at Clemson, right? They're eight and three right now. And we've kind of acted like, especially in the beginning of the season, like the world was really falling for them. And I guess if you're from a Tigers perspective, that still is kind of the case. You're unranked right now. But it really isn't that bad. I'm starting to think that they might actually be just a quarterback away. And if they grab someone in the portal, could they be back to top five to seven status next year? Maybe, because I think now I'm starting to see the pieces around him. And it's really just DJ Uyunglele not making the plays, and that's what's holding them back, I feel. I feel like everybody else is developing except for him. So I'm starting to think maybe they're just a quarterback away. And regarding Wake, they're just really unable to stop the run, but it's really it's really concerning, especially they're playing BC next week. They need that for the Atlantic Championship. Nobody has given up 48 points to Clemson, so... Wake has really been the first one to do it, at least at the level, like the Power 5 level, I believe, Clemson. Yeah, they put up 44 against UConn and 49 against South Carolina State. But this is a little different. And I, Wake offense, nothing developing up front because the Clemson front just dominated. So that mesh point offense where Hartman's usually able to just wait, wait, wait for something to develop. And when someone leaves their gap or makes some mistake on defense, they exploit it. Well, Clemson was just out, just had too much talent, and it didn't really work. But yeah, mostly the game is on the defense for Wake. Super concerning to give up 49 to Clemson, especially just primarily through the run. Yeah, I mean, it's disappointing. Although, at the beginning of the year, if you're a Deke fan, and I tell you, going into the last week of the season, you're going to be 9-2, 6-1 the ACC. All you got to do is win one game, and you will be in the ACC championship game. I think most Deke fans would describe that as Deke-tastic, and they would take it 10 out of 10 times. So the expectations built as the year went on, and now it feels a little bit more like a letdown. But I, I still think, you know, I don't know if they'll be favored. I'm, I'm worried because, you know, Boston College is plucky. I know they lost this week, but they're still plucky is at Boston College. It's definitely not a gimme. So... NC State fans have to feel kind of good going into this week. Yeah, I think you're right, kind of how it's a, a product, though, of, of Dave Clawson's success. He's kind of being punished by that in that we're considering this kind of a, or I guess the public is considering this kind of a, a letdown loss, whereas it's really only a letdown loss because he's been so good. So I think that's a fair statement. Let's move on, though. Wofford at UNC. Very pedestrian game. This is a one and nine now, one and ten FCS opponent that we're talking about. And UNC only wins 34 to 14. Obviously, Sam Howell not playing. That shouldn't have been an issue. It was very concerning to see them not dominate. It should have just been domination in the trenches, run the ball, get the ball in the playmaker's hands, and see what happens. 
One positive was Drake May. I thought he showed his future potential, really had some zip on his throws, great lateral movement to extend plays. So I'm not like panicking here if I'm UNC, but you're definitely not pleased with this performance like Sean Tucker would be. Right. Well, I mean, you know, you had Ty Chandler play basically the first series or two. Josh Downs came out early. Um, I mean, he, he didn't put up, you know, some stellar numbers, which obviously they could have. Jacoby Criswell played at, at quarterback, as did Drake May, as you mentioned. Um, uh, British Brooks had a pretty good game, you know, for, for a backup running back. Seven carries, 89 yards, two touchdowns. But I, I just honestly, Dan, I wouldn't think much about this game. I more think UNC is kind of saving all their ammo for this upcoming week rivalry game versus NC State. They don't want to show their cards the week before. And they don't want anyone to get hurt. It's just like get a lead and then just get out of the game. So I, I don't I don't put too much stock in this game at all. Fair enough, fair enough. That's fine. I, I don't really have much argument with that. I think it's really not too big a deal. Is is more one of those, you know, hey, wait, uh UNC's only up by three on a one and nine FCS team in the mid second quarter and let's let all their rivals get all their jokes out. But I <laughs> Uh, let's see. We got Wake F- or sorry, we got Florida State at Boston College up next on our repertoire. So Florida State pulling out a twenty-six to twenty-three victory despite Boston College's comeback efforts. This is a spark that Mike Norvell has honestly needed. He's sort of turned around his season, hasn't he, Jason? Let's uh, go to our factoid of the day. Factoid of the day. Yeah, if we think about Florida State, they win at Boston College, and that gives them five wins. A victory against Florida this upcoming week. And remember, Florida just fired their head coach. But against, a victory against their rival Florida, Florida State can become the first team since 1986 to start 0-4 and qualify for a bowl game. 1986, it was Colorado, and then Texas A&M in 1967 are the only two schools to pull it off. So Florida State, as you mentioned, Mike Norvell, the fighting Mike Norvells are right on the precipice of history. Yeah, I know Florida State fans are kind of disappointed about the way their season has played out as a whole, but I think just A, with the financial situations, and B, you know, you're year two under Norvell, and you're, you are actually seeing progress. I think you, you definitely keep him around. It would be very foolish not to. Especially you have a guy like Jordan Travis, and his really resurgence has continued. I thought another very solid game all around, making the throws the entire game. Very good stat line, 34 throws, 20 completions, 251, three touchdowns, no picks, like and uh, 26 rush yards. Not just making the explosive plays, but working an offense, checking it down, and keeping the defense, you know, having to guess what you're going to do. That's really what Jordan Travis has done as a progression of a quarterback. I cannot stress that enough. I think he has really developed a lot this year. Yeah, you know, you, you tweeted, you were talking about their defense. You tweeted some good stats about Jermaine Johnson and company on the defensive line for the Seminoles. And I tweeted, I think the Knowles have something cooking. I really do. You know, their defense is, is 
is looking solid. And, and as you mentioned, uh, Jordan Travis has made strides this year more than I thought he had in him, to be honest. And, and I'm glad I was wrong. Uh, Sean Corbin at running back looks good. Trey Sean Ward is kind of going to be their secret weapon next year. I don't know. The Knolls, wouldn't you think right now, would you think that the best team in Florida is Florida State? Who could have thought that after four games and they're 0-4? I mean, Miami's right there, but they did beat Miami, but it was obviously a back-and-forth game. I don't know. The Knolls looking good. And, and next year, I, I mean, what if Travis, you know, they do make a bowl game because listen, making a bowl game, especially for a team like Florida state is so important because it gives you weeks and weeks more of practice. And it just, it really lets you springboard in the next year. And so if Travis develops even more, maybe they get a couple threats on the outside. I don't know. Seminoles could be looking dangerous next year. I do. I like that statement you just made because people say bowl games are meaningless. And I think the results of the bowl games are not as meaningful as regular season results. But the fact that you just said the teams could practice for several more weeks with motivation of a game to play. I think that makes a huge difference. By the way, the um, stat I put out against a very good Boston College offensive line, Kier Thomas. 13 pressures led the ACC, and that's insane because number two was down at seven, and that was Jermaine Johnson, who's also on the same team. This is against a very good Boston College offensive line. Insane stuff. Florida's going to have their hands full next week. Yeah, agreed. All right. I think we covered all that, though. Let's go to, before we get to our game of the day, let's go to what was really not our game of the day, Georgia Tech falling to Notre Dame, 55 to nothing. I don't really have much to say about the gameplay here. I have one conversation starter to bring. We really need to start having some talks about Jeff Collins because we have not seen progress through three years. It has been just hype, and he has not brought it on the field. I think Georgia Tech fans have really started. The only reason I'd maybe give him another year is recruiting and and just the fact that he has seeing it with him. Jason, do you want to try to convince me otherwise, well, or do you feel the way? So this game to me is what you invented the throw up emoji for, right? That's all that can be described. This described this game. It was just embarrassing for Georgia Tech fans and and, and any alumni. It was over really before like kickoff. It was basically over, you know, 24, nothing after one 35, nothing after two. It, it just, it, it really was a, a, a terrible display. Now you astutely started on Jeff Collins quite a few weeks back on our world winning podcast. And you were onto something because listen, at the beginning of the year, we talked about it. This isn't going to be Georgia tech's year. You know, a lot of their pieces are still young. They have a a really, really difficult schedule. So it's not going to be this year, but maybe next year. But what we wanted to see was progress. And I think we've seen the opposite under Collins. I think we've seen regression. And I, you know, I I just don't know where where you go from here. Our guy, Walt Deptula from uh, DJ, you know, on Sports Talk and down in South Carolina, 
all you Clemson fans, if you're down there, definitely tune into his show. And he has a daily show, Road Rage. Great show. He put out a tweet, and I thought this was really uh, a great tweet. He said Georgia Tech should go to Paul Johnson and beg him to come back because Jeff Collins is now a disaster. You know, they, he, obviously Paul Johnson ran the triple option. And it might not be the sexiest thing in the world, but it got results, and teams hated playing, and they were well-disciplined. And they got rid of them, just revamped the offense, and I, we're, we're going the wrong direction. And, you know, Jeff Sims, we've talked about, you know, he didn't play in this game. But Gibbs at running back hasn't been great. I don't know. There's just There was nothing positive to say about Georgia Tech in this game. You know what uh, Paul Johnson is up to these days, speaking of which? No. Yeah, I have no idea either. I was just wondering if you did. <laughs> I thought you were about to drop a bomb on me. <laughs> no. Uh, he's, probably co- he's probably coaching at some group of five school or something. He wasn't like retirement age, was he? No, I'll look him up, man. While, while, while he, <laughs> you kick the, the finishing dirt on, on Georgia Tech's coffin, I'll look him up. I don't really have anything more. I mean, just – it was just a plethora of guys. Notre Dame really didn't open up anything. Like, last week against UVA, I know they won pretty handily, but at least they had to bring their A game to the table in order to do so. And I just felt like this was just a – Came that Notre Dame completely just walked in and didn't really need to bring much play calling or defensive effort to the table. They just easily got it done. So I think that's enough on that. Let's move on to – do you have the Paul Johnson um, status update well, yet? I'm trying, I'm trying to Google it. It looks like the Ravens brought him in to uh, work with their practices some, which is – Pretty weird considering he's a triple option guy. I can't see what he's doing right this second. It doesn't look like he's a coach anywhere. It looks like uh, Georgia Tech at 2018 was the last time uh, he coached. But, you know, obviously he was at Navy and then he went to Georgia Tech. But I don't, I don't have, like, his current current whereabouts. Not sure. Interesting. Well, either way. Um, we got a lot to talk about with this game. So, Virginia at Pitt, we devoted two helmet stickers to this. Pitt winning 48-38, to 38, becoming the Coastal Champions. Good good uh, job by their crowd. They showed out, and a really exciting time for Pitt fans. Finally, they had that breakthrough season. They now got that nine-win mark for the first time in forever. Nine and two, and plenty left to go. I think... Um, Pitt, they really had a balanced attack. They were able to exploit UVA's run defense, kept the ball in Pickett's hand. Pickett did not have, I felt like, his best week, but Pickett's not best week is still a pretty damn good week because he's just that good of a quarterback. And despite the fact that I think Armstrong outplayed him, I think Pitt just had a more well-rounded performance. And it was really a phenomenal game. I really enjoyed watching it. Pitt gets it done just due to the little things. I'll talk about in a little bit. Yeah, I mean, really it was, you know, as you mentioned, it wasn't Kenny Peck, Pickett's best game, but he was, it was super solid. And it was kind of the Jordan Addison show, as, we, as we've kind of already alluded to. He had 14 receptions, 202 yards, and four touchdowns. 
The other one, two, three, four, five, six pass catchers had two, two, four, two, one, and one. So it was basically, as far as receptions goes, it was basically all Addison. And he, and he paid off. Hey, if you can't stop it, keep going to it, right? Uh, they did get a good special teams play out of uh, Izzy Abanacanda, and that kind of buoyed them, you know, when they were possibly, you know, Virginia was kind of making a comeback, you know, Abanacanda ran it uh, 98 yards for a touchdown. That was really some wind in their sails. But look, hats off to Brennan Armstrong. The guy was banged up. You know, he possibly broke some ribs versus BYU a couple weeks ago. It looked like Virginia basically sacrificed the Notre Dame game last week just to try and get him healthy. And it worked. He passed for 487 yards, three touchdowns, really had the team. Uh, they were right there the whole time, you know. Pitt pulled away late, but it was kind of a nip and tuck game. Like I said, the Panthers got that uh, great special teams play, and that was one difference maker to be sure. Uh, but Armstrong was still limited. You know, he didn't he didn't even bother. They they kind of basically abandoned the run. Uh, the Cavs had twenty four carries for twenty seven yards, and so. Not really a banner day on the ground, but it didn't matter because Armstrong was moving them through the air. They just couldn't quite punch it in. Pitt made a few more plays, and as a result, they are the coastal champs. I do have actually a little bit of criticism to give on UVA, though, because I felt like they lost on some self-inflicted wounds, and none of them had to do with Brendan Armstrong. Brendan Armstrong deserved to win this game. His, he had that one interception in the box score, but that was a Hail Mary at the end of the half. So really, he played a perfect game. Bronco Mendenhall at the end of the game said they were leaving it all out there in this game, bringing their blitzes and their play calls. But I felt like that wasn't the case because they were so conservative. Punting the ball on, what was it, the second drive of the game, they had a chance to go up 14 nothing. They punt the ball on like fourth and two well into pit territory. That didn't make sense to me. Special teams touchdown against jumping off sides on a field goal on fourth and four, making three points turn into seven. The fumbled snap on the last drive and then fumble and then punting it away. I mean, both teams played very well offensively. UVA played well enough defensively, but it was just the little things, the special teams, the the game management that I felt like lost in the game. Yeah, I mean, I agreed with you on uh, Mendenhall. Some of his uh, coaching decisions, a little bit of a head-scratcher. You got to play like your life depends on it, because it did, right? You, If UVA wins this game and then they win this week versus Virginia Tech, they're in the championship game. And so you kind of got to leave it all on the field. You got to pretend that there is no tomorrow. I will say this. The Hoos have had quite a few bounces go their way this year. So some of those, like you mentioned before, are going to regress to the mean and and maybe not go your way. And um, it it was a little bit of game game management, a little bit of bounces that didn't quite go your way. Because there was even a couple times where it looked like the the Hoos defender was right there and they can tip the ball or make an interception and they just didn't do it and then end up being a a big catch for Addison. So, but really hats off to them. And again, you know, props to uh, Armstrong for kind of gutting it out. He played, played his tail off out there. 
For sure. And uh, just happy for Pitt fans because they've gone through so much mediocrity and finally they show out in a home game and win another big game this year. So good for them. That's all I've got to say on that. And uh, we got two more games before we get to basketball. So let's, let's do it. We got Syracuse at NC State. I'm not sure. I have many comments on this because it was kind of just fairly typical, right? First off, all life for the Syracuse season has kind of been lost, and I'm starting to turn back my head back on Dino Babers. Number two, it's kind of the classic, like I've kind of noticed, the Dave Dorian era. Tough loss, hard-fought loss. Follow it up with a feel-good blowout win over an inferior team. That's kind of what they did in this game with a 41-17 victory. Yeah, this was a really to-the-T, right-to-the-script type game. You mentioned how that kind of works in the Dave Dorn era for Wolfpack. And Syracuse, under Babers, especially on the road, really have turned in some clunkers. And they needed to win one of these final two games to become bowl eligible. Now they're going to have to beat Pitt, albeit at home. So maybe there is a chance and maybe Pitt's feeling a little bit of a letdown. You know, we'll see how that goes. But Leary was great at quarterback, you know, uh, Devin Leary for NC State, uh, solid again. An elite game management. I think you gave him that moniker and and it really fits to a T. But this was just, and this you know, this was who we thought they were right? for both teams, right? And, you know, 28 to 7 at halftime, game over. And it really didn't uh, change much in the second half. No, Syracuse, they did get pressure on 11 of 29 Devin Leary dropbacks, but it was just insignificant because he played a solid game. He's a good quarterback. He's going to do that. And, you know, I think he's super under the radar like Cunningham. So good for him. As far as Syracuse goes, they got to bring it all next week. They really do because. They're playing Pitt. <laughs> They're playing them at home first off. And second off, you're playing a Pitt team, and this game really means absolutely nothing to them because they already clinched the ACC championship. So, I, I mean, Kenny Pickett's banged up. I wouldn't be surprised if they're just super limited and conservative with their play calling. They got to leave it all out and show that Dino Babers still has some life in him. So, we'll, we'll see on that. But I think that's really all there is to it and let's move on to virginia tech miami the battle what should have been the coastal championship but because neither team cares about football enough instead it was who goes bowling and who went bowling well it's miami with a 38 to 26 win and i guess for miami i i think it's very very likely that manny diaz gets fired hopefully they don't lose tvd tyler van dyke to the portal because he's the future man. Hopefully he really sticks around. Miami did say they invest more into football. If he buys into that and stays for the next coach, he, he made some really good throws once again. And I really like the kid. Yeah, he has been a revelation. Again, we talked about it coming into this year about Derek King and his health. How healthy would he be? He'll the Canes will only go as far as his health. Although, again, you astutely mentioned that their quarterback room was much better than it was in the past. But I I really do, and I think I've mentioned this before, I think it might have been a blessing in disguise for his injury. Of course, we don't root for his injury, but injuries do happen. 
how do you respond to them? And I think the Canes have responded well. Whether Manny Diaz is canned or not, I don't know. I can't imagine bringing in a new athletic director. They're going to want to just keep riding with Diaz. They're going to want to bring in their own guy. But the team has fought under him. The team has stayed together. Uh, you know, TVD has been great. And we've talked about this in, in our Discord. You know, he's putting up numbers that – a lot of uh, ACC QBs have, have never put up with consecutive games of 300 yards and, and three touchdowns. He's had a string of them now at this point. And so <laughs> they've, they've been good. I, I, I don't really know where – and obviously they're going to go bowling. I don't really know where I, – I I'm not really sure what, what the offseason brings. I mean, I guess it will depend on if Diaz keeps his job. And it will kind of be a really a – an important offseason for the Hurricanes because they're bringing in a new athletic director. What do they do with coach? Uh, does Van Dyke stay there and, and kind of build on something? And then for Virginia Tech, you know, just briefly, obviously, Fuente was fired. We had our guy Diablo on earlier in, uh, this week in the podcast to talk about that. There's still one victory away from going bowling. They got to beat their their rival Virginia this week is going to be a kind of a tall order, but their interim head coach is just, it's an important off season for them too. It just, these programs kind of need to decide, like you mentioned, how important is football? And I think this off season will go a long ways toward answering that question. I do too. And as far as the short term future for Virginia tech, well, first off in this game, they got, the run game going a little bit with uh, Connor Blumrick at quarterback, but it's kind of the same old, same old with uh, with their offense. I think the only way they beat UVA is it's a very shocking kind of surprising performance like last year where they completely just pulled it out of their you-know-what and just dominated UVA when it looked like the UVA team was doing much better. But I think that's going to be even more likely – more uh, unlikely this week. They'll have to they'll have to just run the ball probably with Malachi Thomas and just exploit the UVA run defense. That's the only way I see them competing. But yeah, their their outside corners are great. But what we saw is good offense beats good defense, and we saw that with this game with Miami. Right, deep shots to Charleston Rambo, and he was able to have his way with Jermaine Waller at Virginia Tech corner, who got banged up a little bit, by the way. But it was those deep shots to Rambo, mostly short passes over the middle, and their weapons in space were more athletic than the Virginia Tech linebackers. And that's how they exploited them. And I think a lot of Virginia Tech fans are noticing that. So they need a revamp in personnel as well. It'll be, like Diablo fan account said, a multi-year process in their rebuild. So that's all, I, that's all I've got in football. You got anything else or you want to move on to basketball? Yeah, let's move on to basketball, man. All right, so basketball-wise, I think we're just going to do our three takeaways kind of thing like we did last time. We'll each give three takeaways. We'll go from there. The ACC as a whole, let's see. So, I mean, it, it is Sunday, so I'll just give you a timeline of where we're at right now while we're recording. So we had Tennessee beat UNC 89-72 to today, Virginia Tech taking care of Merrimack 72-43. to And going on right now, we have... BC, Rhode Island, part two. Rhode Island winning pretty steadily. Clemson taking a nice lead over West Virginia. Florida State 
Loyola Marymount, NC State, Texas Southern. Those games are also going on. So that's that's where we're at timeline, just in case you guys were wondering while we're recording. But, Jason, what's your first takeaway from the last, I guess, seven days of ACC basketball? Yeah, so my first one is how much is head coach Chris Mack's absence affecting Louisville? Because, you know, he's he's been suspended for the first, I think, six games or so. Because so far the cards have kind of looked underwhelming. You know, they've, they, yeah, they've won some games, uh, but they've had a couple nail biters, including, I think, I think it was like a six point, four, four or six point victory against the winless Detroit team. Really need to pick it up. But again, I, I'm, I'm just curious of how much his absence is affecting. And I don't know, um, maybe, maybe that's kind of who they are, but we, we thought they were going to kind of trend upward this year. So we'll, we'll I guess it remains to be seen, but definitely keeping a close eye on that. My first takeaway kind of lends into your takeaway because it, it, it I guess, a lot of different takeaways as well because it's, it's just general in the ACC. I think we're down bad again. I think the ACC would be lucky to get six bids this year. I think we're looking at probably a five-bid league. So I think there, there's four that I'd give like a 75-plus percent chance right now. I think it's Duke, Virginia Tech, Florida State, and UNC. And then there's like, there's like bubble teams. Like Notre Dame might sneak in. Clemson's looking pretty good. UVA, they really have to make a comeback on their season. Use always the same way. Louisville, could they make a comeback on their season? But I don't know if like more than two of those that I just mentioned sneak in. And... Just the way we're performing in the non-con, everything contributes in the numbers, and I don't think it's looking too good for the ACC. Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously it's early on, so there's a lot of uh, a lot of season to be had. But thinking about you, know, you know, you mentioned UNC, and obviously Hubert Davis has taken over for Roy Williams this year, and we're kind of they're getting their sea legs about them. But how about this? Last year, this is my second point. Last year, North Carolina players combined for seven 20 point games. This year, they've already surpassed that in four or five games. It's kind of amazing. So, their offense really is clicking, and they've had quite a few guys. You know, they've had whether it be Brady Manning, uh, Dawson Garcia, RJ Davis, uh, Armando Baycott. They've had guys, and their offense does look good. As you mentioned, they've their defense hasn't necessarily looked good, especially today versus Tennessee. But it was a back-to-back game, and again, they're still kind of feeling the, their season out, especially a lot of new pieces and, and a new coach getting used to his system. But their offense is looking good so far. If they can shore up that defense, maybe it pushes them, you know, to a little bit higher seed line come March. Yeah, a couple bad, like not bad, but just discouraging losses to good teams over the last couple days, but I still consider them number two in the conference, which I maybe is more of a a testament to how bad the conference has been. Either way, my second takeaway will be Brad Brownell is a phenomenal coach, I think, and he's (laughs) he's the Clemson head coach. And that St. Bonaventure loss where they were up by a pretty decent margin in the second half and, Bonaventure came back to win was a pretty bad letdown, but 
St. Bonaventure is a very good team, and they had a couple of solid wins against Bryant and Wofford, Goodman major teams. They're beating West Virginia 52-45 to right now with seven minutes left. Hopefully that holds up. But I looked at their roster this year. I did not see a lot, and I thought that maybe they would really have a down year. And I think their system allows for consistently good defense. We've seen that the last couple of years. And what I've been most impressed with is how their offensive talent is being maximized. That pick and pop to P.J. Hall is lethal in that game against um, St. Bonaventure. Hall had has not made any threes, but he's got 10 points today. Alamir Dawes with 18 in, currently in this game, so it's his turn to go off. And I've, I've really been impressed with Clemson perhaps the most con- compared to expectations so far. Yeah, Clemson looking good, and, and we wondered – at the end of last season could what were they going to do this year you know because last year kind of fizzled you know especially down the stretch and and thinking about teams kind of on the up and coming listen I know we joke around we love to to bust our own chops about when we miss predictions badly but I got to give you props on this one because you said this at the beginning of the year one of your bold predictions was weight could win 18 to 20 games this year. And right now the demon Deacons are, are humming. I mean, they you know, obviously have Williams, Williamson, LaRavia, that all those guys are, 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 are pouring it in on the, uh, the point side, but they're really handling teams. Now they haven't played any top tier teams, but the teams that they've played, they've put away early. They've left no doubt. So, it's going to be interesting, and I'll be—I really hope you get that prediction right because that'd be a fun one to kind of go back and reminisce about. But Deke's looking good. Maybe, maybe they could keep it going, and they get on that bubble and on the other side of the bubble, and they end up making the dance. Well, you must have forgotten that same article I considered Louisville a top three team, but in the ACC. But oh. well, listen, <laughs> there'll be plenty of time to to, to bust bust your chops about that later. However, let's go back to my point about Chris Mack. Maybe, maybe it's making all the difference right now. Let's let them get their full team, including coaching staff, and then we'll see. And trust me, if you're wrong, I will be more than happy to come back and harp on it. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. Um, my last takeaway is going to be related to Syracuse. I think they're kind of a bubble team like every single year. They're 2-3 zone, though got exploited by Colgate, who put up 100 points on them. Well, why is this significant? Syracuse had a 54-game winning streak against Colgate. It was the longest active winning streak of Team A over Team B. Now, we move down to 41 straight games in terms of longest active winning streak, and it's Gonzaga over Pepperdine, which I don't see ending anytime soon. But just, just an interesting little fact to end your weekend. Bonus factoid of the day. How about that? For free, mind you. Yeah, I just felt the need to end the podcast on that. If you're a Syracuse fan, I'm sorry. We've kind of been a little negative to you this podcast. But we we appreciate your support. We appreciate everyone's support, all the ACC fan bases. And uh, just join our Discord for more content, like you, like we've talked about the contest and also just very good conversation there and as more people join, it continues to grow and grow and become even better. So we'll, uh, like always, leave the episode uh, description. We'll leave a link in there. But I think that'll do it 
for today's podcast. So thanks for listening once again, and uh, we'll see you next time on the Pipeline ACC Podcast.